It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thrilled to have Joe Lieberman just out of bed and on our line. We'll be with him in a second. And Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. He's got a great book out to rescue the Republic. Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. That'll be coming your way. I know our audience love history, at least I hope. Uh, my book comes out November 2nd, and it's going to be The President and the Freedom Fighter. So I think you're going to love that, uh, too. I find, too, that we have a lot to discuss today. A lot of things are unwinding. Uh, the one amazing thing about doing this show and working at this network, you never know what the major story is going to be. I never thought I'd be talking about cargo ships. I never thought I'd be talking about the price of meat and, and milk. I really came into Fox after inflation was a factor. That is all changed. It's affecting all of us. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So a federal source was able to leak us some pretty eye-opening documents. And what they show is that the Biden administration has released more than 70,000 illegal immigrants into the country just in the last two months alone. Former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott, he only granted five to ten paroles per year. The Biden administration just did 32,000 in two months. Nobody's got better reporting on the border than us. That's Bill Malusian. Now we have the numbers, and it's borderline criminal. You just heard them. Hundreds of thousands of illegals have been strategically scattered across the country, and thousands more on the way to your neighborhood. The Mayorkas mayhem is only going to get worse. Number two. The vaccine mandates, what they've done is they've taken working-class people who work through the whole epidemic, firefighters, doctors you just heard, nurses, airline workers, many of them got COVID, they're, they're immune. And we, we treated them like heroes last year, and now we're treating them like pariahs this year. Uh, Jay Bacciara on Laura Ingram last night talking about the, the massive uh, vax mandates and the backlash. The mandate mania may be popular in the polls, but our, we are paying the price across this country. Cops, pilots, medical professionals, armed forces are balking at the demand. Not in great numbers, but enough to affect how we live and soon will walk away from their jobs or be fired. Has anyone thought this through? Number one. Can this administration guarantee that holiday packages will arrive on time? We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, we cannot guarantee. Hmm. Economy is reeling with inflation rising, gas prices soaring, supply chains, backlogs, and goods stuck in ports. President Biden springs into action by blaming and threatening the group that could save him. And that's private business. What a leader. Uh, joining me now, a good friend of his, Joe Lieberman, former U.S. Senator from Connecticut. Now, I believe, Senator, you live in New York, correct? Uh, I do. Uh, uh, you know, we, my wife and I followed the migratory pattern of grandparents, which is that we moved to the closest uh, accumulation of grandchildren. So we lived near two kids and five grandchildren. Fantastic. Hey, Senator, yeah. uh, just for you, like, every time I talk to you, I've been meaning to ask you this. Do you miss being uh, a playmaker, a decision maker on a daily basis? Do you miss the pace? <clears throat> That's a great question. Uh, every now and then I, I read something, I hear something, and I say, damn it, I wish I was there. I would have tried to do something different. Um, and always trying to work across party lines because that's the only way you really get anything done. But in the end, I had 24 years in the Senate. I w it was an honor. It was a privilege. 
And honestly, it was time for me to move on to something else. So bottom line, uh, I'm lucky to be out here uh, uh, living and enjoying the life that I do. So when you go shopping, Joe Lieberman, as, as a former senator, you'll yes. notice that bacon's up 20%, steak's up 22%, gas up 42%, lodging up 20%, car rentals up 42%. We've got a massive chip shortage. I was, uh, you know, I was just in high school when, and grade, grade school when inflation was a big deal and interest rates were high. Everyone talked about inflation. That has not been the story. How do you attack this? How would Joe Lieberman marshal an attack plan on this? Yeah, I probably am not prepared to give you a really full answer, but but you're right. I mean, I follow it, and, uh, you know, there were terrible inflation. I mean, the thing that comes to mind probably most clearly was during the uh, Carter administration, uh, and we don't want to go anywhere back, uh, back toward there on the economy, but some of it is a natural reaction to the pandemic and the uh, disruption of the whole global economy. Some of it is just bad planning, um, but um, uh, how are we going to deal with it? I I tell you, I'll go to something you said in the lead-in, Brian. Um, You know, it's not that business does everything right. Business occasionally needs to be regulated, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, when you have a problem like inflation, which is a big economic problem, it can really hurt people's lives just because everything will cost more. Uh, the government's got to work with business uh, to come up with a solution. Some of the businesses themselves, <clears throat> as you've seen, are beginning to take action themselves um, to uh, increase the supply of goods to them, break the supply chain gridlock, which is increasing inflation, and um, and, and deliver their products. But honestly, uh, private public sector partnerships are the way for this to go. Maybe the Fed has some role on interest rates, but I I tell you, this is the, in a way it's the hidden tax, and it's a big tax when inflation raises the cost of everything. And incidentally, one of the things that probably happens when that happens is that the stock markets go down, and that affects everybody's sense of financial security. Yeah, I mean, Senator, you know what it's like. Senator, you you know what it's like to have a campaign. You think to yourself, okay, I'm going to be pro-Iraq war. I'm going to be strong on defense. I'm going to uh, talk about social programs. But when inflation hits, there's no 30-second ad that's going to assuage that feeling of having paying more for less. And that's yeah. what people are, are reacting to now. And I want to get you to how it could be played out in the Virginia race. But I want you okay. to hear the president yesterday. Cut three. If federal support is needed, I will direct all appropriate action. And if the private sector doesn't step up, we're going to call them out and ask them to act. Because our goal is not only to get through this immediate bottleneck, but to address the longstanding weaknesses in our transportation supply chain that this pandemic has exposed. If the private sector doesn't step up, I mean, the private sector, UPS, FedEx, you have all these these, these CEOs there, they're stepping up. You've asked them nine months into your administration right. to do something, and basically you've got the unions to work 24 hours, and they're getting paid to do it. So I just don't understand the tone. Yeah, well, it was a little. I mean, I think overall the step that he announced yesterday was good, and it was great that he brought in the leaders of <clears throat> those really uh, important uh, businesses to our country. But um, you know, you're right, Brian. They were stepping up <clears throat> by the fact that they were there, and uh, you want to create a sense of partnership. Incidentally, they they want to break the supply chain gridlock. They they don't want to face 
inflation because ultimately it hurts their everybody and sales as well so you know there's there is a, a tendency in politics and now in this administration uh, to, to sort of pick on your favorite targets, whether they deserve it or not. And again, I say business obviously uh, needs some rules that govern what they do. But in an economic crisis, don't go into it. Uh, and this inflation might become an economic crisis in a in a fight mode with business. You got to make them your partner. <clears throat> excuse me, or, or else you're not going to work your way out of it. And the other problem is, you may try to work your way out of it with a total government solution. And generally speaking, uh, that doesn't work in America. Never has. Senator Joe Lieberman with me now. So, Senator, you know the first thing uh, the president did is sign a whole bunch of executive orders, stop drilling in federal land, and stop the XL pipeline. He stopped a couple more since. So even the drilling and the fracking that's happening, there's no way to transport it effectively, especially with lack of truck drivers. That's adding to the fact that there's a global shortage of natural gas and oil. It's now up to $80 a barrel. They're even suffering that in China and in India, the White House reportedly, is, according to Reuters, asked the U.S. oil and gas companies to help lower fuel costs and to pump more. I mean, isn't this an example of an agenda and an ideology hurting the country instead of being practical in the Oval Office? He was ideological, and that is why we're spending 525 in New York City for a gallon yeah. of gas, and the yeah. Russians are benefiting and the Iranians are benefiting from yeah. $80 a barrel. <clears throat> I know. I must say, every time I read those oil prices or gas prices, I think that our enemies. Yes. Uh, just, just where you say it, Iran and Russia are, are getting richer as a result doing nothing. I mean, look, with the, the whole – everybody knows <clears> – sorry – that, that we um, – we're, we've got to transition to a more diverse energy uh, economy, and we're doing it. Look, look at uh, all the electric cars and all the rest. A lot of that, incidentally, is coming from the private sector because they see the market changing. Yep. But something that's happened over the last five or ten years, it's really a miracle, is the technological advances that have made the United States again this enormous producer of energy. And in this moment, that's a national strength. So I know I understand over the long term we're, we're going to diminish our reliance on fossil fuels, but right now the Not ability yeah. to, to to produce gas and oil in the United States is a big deal for our economy, and frankly, it's a big deal for our security because we rely we keep the prices down globally, and we diminish uh, <clears throat> the support in a way our we're, we're giving to our enemies in the world. So I, 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 in the, I hope that happens. You can see uh, the president going two ways in that statement you just read about energy, Brighton. And honestly, uh, the president has to be the leader. I, I saw him often be in the Senate when I served with him for 24 years. He's got a lot of big problems he's facing. Uh, but, and to solve them and to give the leadership he wants uh, he's got to make some people unhappy. Yes. He's making people unhappy now, but the question is, who's he making unhappy? And, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think the left wing of the Democratic Party has influence uh, in our government today and in the Democratic Party way beyond their numbers and way beyond what's best for the future 
of of America. So I, I hope that Joe Biden, that I knew, who was basically center left, not left left, will uh, emerge with some strength in the in the months ahead because that's what America needs in the White House. But he's not. And I'll give you an example. When I heard this, I th- when I heard Joe Manchin say this, I thought of you. And this is the way the Democratic Party, I thought, was. Listen. I've never been. I've never been a liberal in any way, shape, or the form. There's no one has ever thought I was. I've been a governor. I've been state secretary of state. I've been state legislature. I've been a U.S. senator. And I have voted pretty consistently all my whole life. I don't fault any of them who believe that they are much more progressive and much more liberal. God bless them. And all they need to do is we have to elect more, I guess, for them to get theirs, elect more liberals. So he's standing his ground. He's saying, what happened to the moderate? I think on some level he's saying, the president used to be like me. Yeah. So what happened? And the thing is, he doesn't recognize his own party. Do you? Well, I worry about it. I mean, it's changed a lot. Look, I became a Democrat a long time ago under the influence of President John F. Kennedy. And uh, there was a great combination, I'd say, center-left on social issues, sort of moderate on economic issues, and probably conservative on foreign policy and national security. It's all changed. And uh, Joe Manchin has cast some votes that I would say are liberal, so did I. But but we also uh, felt the independence to to be different and center or, or right when we thought that was best for the country. And what's happened today, in some ways, it's, it's happening in both parties. They begin to be litmus tests within the party. You've got to be 100 percent or or you're not a good member of the party. And that's not the way the parties have functioned best in American history. You know, there's a great, sorry, great line from President Reagan, who, as you know, Brian, started out as a Democrat. And uh, somebody asked him, why did you become a Republican? Why did you leave the Democratic Party? He said, I didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left me. And uh, there's a lot of Democrats now who are beginning to feel that about some of the policy positions that uh, some of the left wing of the Democratic Party in Congress are advocating and, on domestic right. and foreign policy. We're not a socialist country. And let me get you, and let, yeah, go full, ahead, Senator, let me just get full circle because we're, at, we're basically out of time. And our, our first litmus test is this governor's race in uh, Virginia. And basically, Terry McAuliffe was caught talking to donors saying, I can't have President Biden show up. He's too unpopular. Even though yeah. President Obama does not get along with Terry McAuliffe famously, he's going to try to help him out for the good of his party. And this education thing, I think, is real. What are you going to be looking for besides win and loss with the McAuliffe situation for the future of the Democratic Party? Heck of a question, because Terry McAuliffe was a really popular governor. So um, there's, this is a real choice people have in Virginia. It's going to say a lot, and, and this is a very simplistic answer. But uh, if Terry McAuliffe um, loses, uh, even though he's not a left-wing Democrat, it'll be a sign that people in Virginia, which has trend, trended Democratic in recent elections, uh, really are worried about the direction of the National Democratic Party. And uh, all, all the issues, education and the rest, the woke uh, culture and all of that uh, is important, but it's all part of a larger picture. Where, where are the voters, including particularly independents and people who describe themselves as moderates, voted in that Virginia gubernatorial election? Uh, Biden won the, the moderate self-described against Trump in 20 by a lot. If the moderates begin to move toward the Republican candidate in Virginia, that is a, uh, a red alert to the Democratic Party. For the House and Senate. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, Senator Joe Liebman, if he's in a rush, that means one grandkid is in trouble and he's helping out, so get out of his way. Uh, Joe All Liebman, right, thanks so much. God bless. See you. You got it. He's also chairman of the United uh, United Against Nuclear Iran, which we are. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. I see you up there already. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So a federal source was able to leak us some pretty eye-opening documents. And what they show is that the Biden administration has released more than 70,000 illegal immigrants into the country just in the last two months alone. So let's show you some of what we're talking about. If we can pull up this first graphic, one thing that jumped out to us, just since August 6th, the administration has released about 32,000 people into the country by granting them parole. That gives them temporary legal status and also allows them to apply for work permits. But under federal law, it's very strict guidelines. It's supposed to only be on a case-by-case basis for urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. Just to put it in perspective for you, former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott, who served under Trump and Biden, said he only granted five to ten paroles per year as a sector chief. According to these documents, the Biden administration just did 32,000 in two months. Do you believe what's going on here? Bill Malusian's unwinding this because the Border Patrol is helping. The Texas National Guard is working with us. They're law enforcement. They don't care about politics. Who cares who they voted for? They want people who are going to back them up. They want good policies. If they go wrong, they want to change. They want sincerity. Bill Malusian doing a great job in the border. I just wanted to share that with you. Steve is listening on the Fox News Radio app in Massachusetts. Hey, Steve. Hey, good morning, Brian. You know, it's funny. The first segment you had is, is exactly what I called for with Joe Lieberman. You know, Brian, I've been in I've been in the transportation industry for 34 years. I have to t- I'd like you to do us all a favor and pass a message on to some of these Democrats. I don't know who's I don't know if it's Joe Biden's stupidity or the people who are who are overseeing him, but I hate to tell them that companies like mine, since 2019, okay, we worked a lot of hours for Christmas, got our job done, and then we move into returns for January and February, and then what happens in April of 2020? 
COVID hits. People are stuck home. And now they relied on a transportation industry to get them their food. Yeah. And it's amazing, Steve, because they, they're belligerent to you guys instead of complimenting you guys. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. And this administration guarantee that holiday packages will arrive on time. We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, We cannot guarantee. What we can do is use every lever at the federal government disposal to reduce uh, delays, to ensure that we are uh, addressing bottlenecks in the system, including uh, ports and the the need for them to be open longer hours so that goods can arrive. Uh, And we can continue to press uh, not only uh, workers and, and unions, but also companies to take as many steps as they can to reduce these delays. Uh, that was Jen Psaki trying to say, uh, are we going to have a Christmas? We don't know. Uh, with me right now, well, I just think it's not all about presents, and we should we should learn that lesson this year as a country, uh, is uh, Brett Bear. He's the same Brett Bear that has his brand-new book out, number one on Amazon to start the show. There's pressure on us to keep it on number one through my show. It's called To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and the Crisis of 1876. And it is great. You gave me an advanced copy of the bendable ones, the uncorrected proofs yes. with the spelling errors and your writing <laughs> in the margins. Uh, but it's great. I just love the ear. I knew very little about it. No one talks about it. And I want to get into it. But I just want you to also respond to what you just heard yeah. about Christmas supply chains, the president's uh, point of action, and the tweet you just told me. Well, you know, Ron Klain, the White House chief of staff, is uh, retweets a lot of things. And uh, you can tell where his mind is and what he's trying to do by what he He's retweeting essentially that the problems that they're dealing with uh, are directly from Trump, which which is a common thing for for this White House to say. Um, but you know the supply chain issue is huge. It's it's not going to get solved before Christmas, and whoever you know is holding the bag at the end as president is going to get blamed for it. Right. Take responsibility. Another thing is the one thing that President Trump did is that he would bring the cameras in to these meetings. And I loved it, whether it was the something on guns and he would bring the camera in there. If he wants his CEOs in there to talk about how to solve uh, an issue, he would bring it in. I loved it. You see the real interaction. Yeah. And uh, something's happening. I would love to have seen the cameras in there went with this uh, FedEx and UPS and all these different companies in there yesterday with him. But his his method Okay, in California, in Los Angeles, they're now going to be open 24 hours a day. Okay. Yeah. That's one port in one part of the country. Bill and Dana just had this this guy on saying that literally will be a drop in the water. I mean, a drop in the ocean. It'll, it won't make – you could have 48 hours in a day, and it's not going to get all of this solved in time. And uh, so, again, it's going to build on itself, and in the same time – we're in the process of debating on Capitol Hill these trillions and trillions of dollars that, you know, people are saying, what is in here? Well, what do you think, Brett? What does that do for that conversation? They're not having the conversation with us. They're having it with each other, meaning the American people. Right. So what do you think it does for that conversation? Because there is no econ- economist that will get on the air and say it would be great for the country to spend more money we don't have at a rate we've never done. No. Right? So how, what does that do? Like when, the, when that room closes... 
and people start talking candidly, what do they say? Do you I think? think? I think that they're saying we've got to do this now. We've got to get it through. Forget I think inflation. Yes, just pile through and get it through because it's a an ideological wish list of a number of things. You know, and I've I've spoken to all kinds of people, uh, including Joe Manchin up on the Hill. You know, there's a lot of um, moving the shells around up there to try to make it look less now. So the, a program that they had funded for 10 years, they'll fund for three years. And it'll it'll seriously come to a point where the next Congress has to say, okay, we're going to be the Congress that stops this. Well, that just never happens. And de the Democrats know that. So once you start it, once the ball goes down the, the hill, it's going to keep rolling. And, you know, when you have a five-seed margin or a seven-seed, judging by who's retiring and who, uh, who took a government job in the House, you know you're going to be in trouble in the midterm elections. But when you see the President of the United States not invited to a Virginia governor race, and the governor race has been Terry McAuliffe, who was a re relatively popular governor when he was in Virginia, governor r running for his life within the margin of error against uh, Youngkin, the Republican. You can't feel optimistic if you're a Democrat that you're going to hold the House or the Senate, you know, although it comes down to individual races. I want you to hear what Van Jones said on CNN. I think that right now, um, you know, the honeymoon's over. Uh, there was a moment where it's like Trump's, you know, goodbye, Trump. Hello, vaccines. We're so glad to see you, Joe Biden. That's kind of how this year started. The problem is that he uh, put himself in a position where he made big, bold claims about the rest of the agenda. You think this great stuff that we did is good? It's nothing. Wait until this summer when you're going to get all this other stuff. And then he steps on a rake and then he slips on a banana peel and then he falls down the stairs with some marbles. And now people are looking at him in a negative light. Uh, I guess falling down the stairs, Afghanistan, I guess uh, the, uh, tripping on marbles was the ridiculous promise of a vote on the 3.5 and the $1.2 uh, trillion, and then the punt to October 31st, and the debt ceiling uh, berating, Chuck Schumer berating Mitch McConnell for showing him, throwing him a life preserver in the debt ceiling. I mean, add to that the booster promise, like the boosters Where'd are happening. It was out of the blue. It, it's just happening. And then the FDA walking that back. Add to that that the borders are closed and they're not. Add to that that crime is not a big problem across the country. And it is. Huge. I mean, so you put all of that in together, and that is really a potent mix for an administration to deal I, with. I was trying to get your take on this. I, you know, you, you see the polls, and I think the last time I saw it, 54% of the country was in favor of mandates when it came to vaccines. Okay? Good job. You think you're doing a popular thing. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, the airline industry, mandate. All right. Uh, cops, New York City, mandate. It's coming. Now we know medical workers, mandate is coming. Do you know what's consistent? People did get vaccinated, but about 10 to 15% didn't. And they're told you're fired, you quit, you're out. Those industries have to function. How do you run a hospital with 10% of your force gone? How do you run a, a how do you run an airline if the pilots aren't if 10% of the pilots are not there and the workers are not there? Or a police force that's police in a for in a city. How about a military when hundreds of thousands say, I quit, rather than get the shot? You might say, well, 56% support me, and most people did get a shot and went up 10%. But has anyone thought this through? No. And we're struggling to get 
jobs filled anyway. And you're firing people at jobs that we we asked them to teach. We asked them to go to the hospitals. We, we, we said, please walk the streets in uniform and try to keep our streets safe. And now we said, you fired, you fired, you fired. And I think firefighters are going to be next. In some cities, they're already under fire. It's... It, it makes no sense. It really doesn't make it sense. It gets such much anger, too. People are angry. Whether they got a vaccine. Some people are angry. You didn't get a vaccine. Okay. I got one, by the way. But they'll, you didn't get Turn a vaccine. You're selfish. Yeah. Uh, and then but people who didn't get a vaccine are, are angry that they're being looked at the bad guys. Right. I mean, listen, if, if you're not going to get the vaccine, you might have to, because of your company, you might have to take tests. Okay. That's Should an option. Been the option. But it's not an option for some of those places. And they're getting fired. And the job is then open, and we can't fill it. And we have 11 million, 10 point something million open jobs, 7 million without a job. And now we're saying we had 2% of the people quit their job, 2 plus percent quit their job, and now we're firing them their job. And I'm just wondering, can anyone run this place? Has anyone thought this out? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. And, and you know, you add to that all of the unemployment uh, stretch out from COVID-19 that really exacerbated, if you talk to most businesses, the ability, their inability to get people in the workplace. I want to do the whole next segment on on your book, but I want to uh, also for people that have to run to work or something, uh, talk about it now. What brought you to this period in America after two, one term of Andrew Johnson, two terms of Ulysses S. Grant, where you, you're like me, you're trying to find that sweet spot of something that's unplowed exactly. and important. Yeah. What brought you here? Well, you know, those, the three days books were like that, you know, the moments that were overlooked and uh, that history didn't focus on. And, you know, it depends on who's writing your history as that Hamilton song, you know, goes. Um, and I think that Grant's presidency just was overlooked and it was really consequential and significant and big things happened, uh, but it just gets painted with a broad brush and reconstruction is, is kind of dumped on him as a negative. In reality, he holds the country together like pretty much no other president had. Uh, and I can't help... I always think about this because I'm uh, for the last two and a half years on the president of Freedom Fighter, how much better off our country would have been had Abraham Lincoln lived to work with Grant and then two, two, uh, two terms of Grant afterwards and then working with Frederick Douglass and I these mean, abolitionists, if how Grant much better follows, our country would have been. If Grant follows Lincoln and we don't have Johnson, it's a different country. It's a different country. We don't need. I always said if we if Lincoln had survived the 1860s, we wouldn't have need the 1960s. That's exactly right. Um, so it's an important part. I want to talk more about that uh, too when we come back. Also, the number one podcaster in the country is Joe Rogan, and he took on Sanjay Gupta. It was amazing. And, and I want to play some of that and get your take yep. on ivermectin. And why does it take a podcaster, UFC commentator, stand-up comedian? to make people take ivermectin seriously when they looked at when Ron Johnson actually had those committee hearings. They won't even put it on YouTube, which is unbelievable with a period we're living in. Uh, Brett, we don't have enough time. Why do we have commercials? Back in a moment. <laughs> Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
By the way, I'm glad you're you're, you're better. I'm Thank glad you. it only lasted a day. You're probably really the am. only one at CNN that's glad. No, 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 no. The rest of them are all lying about me taking Hork's medication. <laughs> and we should talk about that. That bothered you. It should bother you, too. They're well, lying I, at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for it, veterinary. It, calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It, and it's it, a lie that's a willing that's that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. And that was Sanjay Gupta on with Joe Rogan, and he was relentless after him, but fair. Gave him a chance to answer. Say, you know, ivermectin is given to horses, but not in the same dosage. There is a lot of, if you have a dog or a cat or an animal, if you go to the vet, you'll recognize a lot of the medicine. If the dosage is different, obviously, and for people just to say, don't take a horse medication, when ivermectin is given as the number one therapeutic in Japan and place, and India, by the way, uh, and we were using it until Senator Ron Johnson brought it up. Brett Baer, our guest. Uh, Brett Baer is here. I want you to comment on that, Brett. You're chief political anchor at Fox News, special report tonight at 6, and your book, To Rescue the Republic, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and the Crisis of 1876 is, is number one, and it just came out this week. Uh, so your reaction to this exchange? Well, first of all, um, I, you know, good for Joe Rogan, number one. Number two, uh, he was prescribed that by a doctor. You know, it's not like he was just getting it on the side and decided right. to take it. He was prescribed it. Yeah. And what do we tell people? Listen to your doctor. Have a conversation about your health. Um, so it, it was a moment, I think, for Sanjay Gupta to – and the fact that he went on that show not knowing that he could get that question. I mean, he really seemed unprepared for it. Um, and, you know, he said, what did CNN say? I mean, he's, he's on CNN, and they ask him about this stuff. Right. So – uh, I, I do think it's a legitimate thing. And, and it happens – it's just happening more and more. Like suddenly something becomes – we can't talk about it, and it gets scrubbed. Never seen it. I mean it. think like about it. the Hunter Biden story. Think about the early days of the Wuhan lab. You know, we did that story April 2020. For months after that, it was called conspiracy theory. Yeah. And, and now – People are coming around to it. New Yorker, New York Magazine, Washington Post, New York Times. Like this actually could ha could be it. And then it's an in-your-face selling his, his paintings. The, the even the Obama ethics uh, uh, ethics czar or whatever he is came out and goes, it is a problem him not is selling his paintings. Uh, and basically we don't know who's buying them. Why would you buy a guy who just learned to paint the other day who if you didn't think his name was going to be possibly get you influence with the president? Ethically, it's a joke. And here's the thing. This must drove you crazy because you know that laptop that was legitimate journalism. Totally. You, you're and it was cutting and us. pasting. Yeah. It was us and New York Post, maybe a few other, maybe a couple others, but nobody else touched it. No one. Who was on the list that you remember of the security executives from John Brennan on down that said this is Russian disinformation? Yeah. Uh, Hayden was one of them. Yes. I mean, the CIA guys. These guys, like the who's who of national security said this is Russian disinformation. To the point where they put that out the day before the debate, and Joe Biden uses it in the debate to say a bunch of intelligence officials say that's Russian disinformation. Well, he did point to the letter. There was a letter, but – Unfortunately, it was not true. Right, and Trump did a terrible job bringing it up ham-handedly. Uh, he wasn't able to capitalize. And there was no foreign policy on the debate, which is bizarre for from the chairman of Foreign Relations Committee. I want to talk more about your book because it matters so much today. We're still talking about race today. Yeah. Right? We're still Black Lives Matters and everything. Um, 
Did you have trouble? I had trouble even researching how African-Americans were treated during those times during Reconstruction. Yeah. I had a few times. I had just had to take a break Yeah, it was, because it's it was, so – can't believe your country would do this. Like how is that possible that we as a country did that? Hung people for going to – hang people for going to vote. It was amazing. And and some of the uh, militias and, and the KKK, I mean, it, it was slaughter in the South at some points. And uh, some major, major events to the point where Grant sends in federal troops to try to get a hold of things. Um, I, I don't think people realize the extent to which this president bent over backwards to try to get blacks a normal life in America and how he risked everything, his presidency, to do it, to follow up on the vision of Lincoln and to to acknowledge that this is a really a big stain on our country. Right. And it's, it's so important. This is not critical race theory. This is our legitimate history with what you're doing. You're telling people, I'm not telling you how to live. I'm telling you what happened. This is actual yeah. fact. So, and, and this is going to help. Like your book will help America understand our whole history. So this book, We had great people around us too. Who, this book ends and uh, it's after George Floyd and the protests are happening and the statue of Grant is pulled down in the San Francisco park and I'm Nonsense. watching it and I'm watching it live. And the reporter on scene, it get, pulls over the people and says, why are you doing this? Why are you pulling this down? And they say, well, he's part of the civil war and he had a slave and it, it's just, we got to get rid of this stuff. Now it just made me so mad because here is a president who did exactly opposite and they didn't know. Right. He had a slave that was given to him by his father-in-law who he then, Grant then <laughs> Goes freed. to court. He then freed, and and he spent the rest of his life fighting slavery, fighting for blacks. So real quick, Rutherford B. Hayes ends up being president, but the Democrat— uh, Samuel they were a, Tilden. Samuel Tilden. They were in a dead heat. Uh, he had to go broker a deal. It wasn't a matter of re-voting. No, he had to, behind the scenes in Capitol Hill, kind of get people together and say, here's what we have to do. And if he doesn't do that, it, it literally could have tipped back to a civil war. It was that on the on the cusp. And he does this deal and, and you know, people point to it and say, Well, by doing that and ending reconstruction like that, it created the civil rights strife that we had years later. That's fair, but there were many other presidents after Grant that could have done something different and Reconstruction had run its course. Federal yeah. troops were not going to stay in the South. Was an easy decision. You had to sacrifice something uh, a lot of times. And what I think in the end, he tried to run again. And he got sick. But he wanted to come back and be president again. That would have helped too. It would have. Right. And how he died was so horrendous, but had to get his memoirs done. Got so done. his family had a legacy to be able to cash in to have something because he had made some bad investments. Made the deadline right, right before he died. Hey, go pick up this book. It's an important part of American history. Brett, you did a great thing. And also check out his show, To Rescue the Republic. It's on Fox Nation. Brett, see you tonight at 6. Bet. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by uh, Chris Wallace, who's going to be here shortly. And we're also going to be joined by uh, Congressman 
uh, Madison uh, Cawthorn. So he's going to be with us, too. And we'll be taking your calls. Uh, a lot going on right now. Uh, we're seeing it. The president of the United States is going to do what he does best, yell at people for not getting vaccinated today uh, and go to, and talk about what he accomplished with vaccinations. But there's a flip side to that. And I'll go over that with Chris Wallace. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So a federal source was able to leak us some pretty eye-opening documents. And what they show is that the Biden administration has released more than 70,000 illegal immigrants into the country just in the last two months alone. Former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott, he only granted five to ten paroles per year. The Biden administration just did 32,000 in two months. Uh, that is Bill Malusian. What a great job he is doing at the border. Uh, now we have the numbers, and it's borderline criminal. Hundreds of thousands of illegals have been strategically scattered across the country, and thousands more on the way to your neighborhood. The Mayorkas mayhem is only going to get worse. Number two. The vaccine mandates, what they've done is they've taken working-class people who worked through the whole epidemic, firefighters, doctors you just heard, nurses, airline workers, many of them got COVID, they're, they're immune. And we, we treated them like heroes last year, and now we're treating them like pariahs this year. It's, it's crazy. Jay Bakachara is weighing in last night with Laura Ingram, the mandate mania. Many popular, it's, it's popular in the polls, and that's probably true, but we are paying the price around the country as cops, pilots, medical professionals, armed forces are all balking at the demand and soon will be walking away from their jobs or being fired. Has anyone thought this through? Number one. Can this administration guarantee that holiday packages will arrive on time? We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, we cannot guarantee. <laughs> Jen Psaki, the economy is reeling, inflation rising, gas prices soaring, supply chain backlogged. Goods are stuck in the ports. President Biden springs into action by blaming and threatening the group that could save him and the U.S. Private business. What a great leader. With me right now is Chris Wallace. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you, Brian? He's the host of Fox News Sunday. You're going to watch him on Sunday, whether you want to or not. It's required. There's a quiz on Monday. How's that? We do not have a mandate. It's freedom of choice. (laughs) That is not true. That is fake news. Wait a second. No mandate. If we could have one and it would boost viewership, I'd be happy to do it. So, Chris, I, I watch show every week. Obviously, this was the moment that I think you were incredulous. So you have Senator Chris Coons on. And I believe Chris Coons at one point was saying, like, um, uh, like Harold Ford, hey, Democrats, take the win. You have a bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal. Take the win. And you're trying to say you guys aren't getting this done. And unemployment, uh, what's with the unemployment numbers? Listen to what Chris Coons' response was. Let me focus on why those people dropped out of the workforce. It's the high cost of daycare. I have folks who work for me who are paying more for daycare than they are for their mortgage. And the challenge is finding ways to care for our seniors, our children, to provide for a lower cost of health care are exactly why we're now going to move forward with President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. But, but I mean, and we do have to put it back. We to do work. have to. And you went back. I mean, you can't say daycare is the reason you go 194,000 jobs instead of 500,000 jobs, uh, even though unemployment went down. You can't say daycare is the reason that 2% of the people quit their jobs last month and there are 11 million openings and 7 million unemployed. The numbers just don't add up. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I completely agree. Look, it's complicated. There are a lot of different reasons. But to just say it's all daycare, I think, <laughs> I think the pandemic 
has turned out to be one of the reasons. And people, uh, you know, there was when these numbers were taken, which was mid-September, there was a particular surge of, of Delta, which thankfully has gotten better. Uh, and, you know, there were a lot of people who were scared to go. There are all kinds of reasons. One of the fascinating reasons is is the number of people who are quitting, who are just leaving their jobs. And, you know, what's interesting is at a time when there are millions of Americans who are leaving their jobs voluntarily, you seem to want everybody else's job. I see you on Fox and Friends. I see you on Outnumbered. I see you on Fox News primetime. I see you or I hear you on this radio show. Your appetite for work. And I think, frankly, to stay away from your family just seems <laughs> insatiable. Well, they do it's sometimes. It seems insatiable. When I walk in the house, sometimes they'll say, no one wanted you on tonight. And I thought, what, what is that about? That's kind <laughs> well, of a thought, weird I thought tone. you were going to say your kids cry and go, Mommy, who's the stranger? <laughs> That's such, that is not does true. Your fam- wait, wait. I do want to ask. Does your family tease you about the fact that you're working all the time? Well, I mean, they're older. Yeah, when I was little, when they were little, uh, and I, I'd be picking them up for school most days. Uh, and that was a great thing about doing a morning show. But with this new management, they actually asked me to do stuff. And I'm from the school of you're asking me to do it. I feel it as a compliment. So I'm always like, for example, John Roberts said, John Roberts show uh, and Sandra Smith. They say, can you come on and do a hit at 1.30 today? And I'm thinking to myself, I get off at 12. I got a lot of stuff to do. Why wouldn't I do that at 1.30? And then they asked me to fill in on the five. Well, let me see. I'm going to go out Friday night, but if I do the five, I'm home by seven, and I have three million people watching me, and I'm all about me. Why would I not say yes to that? What, don't you feel the same? I mean, wouldn't you be in the? Aren't you? Wouldn't you have the same answers? Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, like Allison, what am I missing? We're at different like, stages in our career. You know, you 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 keep thinking I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to get. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get up to the top of Everest. And I think, well, I'm not up to the top of Everest, but I got a pretty good view here. So ah. what the heck? So, I mean, I, I like to say yes, because I'm a team player, but I'm not, I'm not sitting there. I mean, if I finished at 12 and I had done, what do you do at, at 12? You've done six hours of radio yeah. and TV, correct? Yeah. Six hours. Yep. I think I might say that's enough. You know, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've done my, my share. You, on the other hand, are now going to do one thirty and 5 o'clock? My yeah, God. and I'm going to tape Judge Janine at 1 o'clock on Friday. So the judge asked me to do a show at 1. i got to stay for the 5. Why would I not do it? I'm flattered. I, I just, I, I'm just i surprised you don't feel the same way. Well, as I said, we're, <laughs> we're at different points in our lives. Yeah. Six so, hours? Six hours doesn't do it. Six hours does not fill it up. You, you would Allison, just, would you I, weigh you in know, on this? Just, because uh, Chris likes you better anyway. Well, I appreciate I that. Um, you are just the hardest working man I think anyone has ever come across. No, you that, are. this is not. I mean, I, there's but, people building that building behind us. They're working hard. Well, they are working hard. But I will say this, Chris, you're just talking about Fox TV. You're then not even knowing about all the book stuff and everything else that he's doing in life. Right. He uh, never stops. Oh, yeah. You know what? I got to give Chris his. He gets upset. <laughs> I got to give him his plug. Uh, Countdown Bin Laden, the untold story of the 247-day hunt to bring the mastermind of 9-11 to justice. Uh, he, Chris Wallace has been on those charts, and I think that that does excite you. And very few things excite you because you've done it all. 
because you've already been on network television before you even got here. But I've, you get excited no, talking I mean, about big, these books. A big interview very much excites me. And when you make news and, you know, it's, you, you had that thing with Chris Coons when somebody <laughs> says something dumb, uh, I, I get a kick out of that. I, I sit there and go, oh, that's great. He's going to blame it all on child care. That, that's terrific. Um, you know, I'm not I, I'm very enthused, but, I, you know, I, I take yes. I mean, it's like it's like a dinner. You, so you eat dinner, right? And you have a really good dinner, and you have yeah. a, a protein, and you have a vegetable, and maybe yeah. you have a little salad. Maybe if it's at night, you have a, gl- a glass of wine or something like that. I'm done. I don't need to eat another meal. <laughs> and I certainly don't need to eat two or three more meals, and then dessert, and then a couple of more desserts. It, it's, it's enough. You wow. can stop. It's okay. You, you've you've uh, got the job. Oh, my goodness. When, when is your book coming out, incidentally? Uh, November 2nd. And I was finishing up the special yesterday in Rochester, the president and freedom fighter, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's soul. And we had a special on November 7th. So it's going to be on at 10 o'clock to 11. And I am really you. Your special was great. Uh, And I'm really pumped up for you guys to see this because to go to all these locations, I mean, in Indiana, up in Rochester and Washington and Maryland, uh, we went to a million locations to do this. So. Uh, and to talk right. to so other in other words, after the six and the White House. radio and TV, then you traveled and went to a half dozen other places. I would like you, I mean, I, I'm not booking your show, but I would like you to have, take phone callers and say, who's right, Chris or Brian? Is is enough enough or is enough never enough? And you got to keep going. Usually, that, I would, I would I, be very curious to hear what somebody has to say. Okay, um, I'm gonna. You know what I'm thinking? I'm gonna a couple of things real quick. I'm not hosting. Uh, I'm not hosting The Bachelor and America's Funniest Videos. When I we get on, but if things they, are but happening. You know but things you, are actually. You would. No, if I wouldn't. If they called you, you would. Well, for how much? Well, number one. Number two is. If they said you'll just have a lot of viewers, you'll just have people no, watching no. you. No. But the thing of this, what you're forgetting is the elephant in the room is the news. I mean, to be able to react to what's happening in the world right now on a national basis with a show, and this radio show has gotten bigger and bigger. So to be able to react and talk to the most important people in the world about things that matter most, that's not work. It's preparation, but you just listen and react. That's how I feel. But I want to bring you to something else that's a little different. Joe Rogan was able to interview uh, Sanjay Gupta, and I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast, and he got COVID, the COVID virus. And what he did is, and he's, a, you know, he's, he's in elite shape, he's also a UFC commentator, stand-up comedian, and his podcast goes on literally for three hours, four times a week. He got $100 million to go to Spotify. That's how powerful he is. But I think people— Oh, I uh, listen to him. He's, yeah. he's great. He's very, yeah. very good. Yeah, people outside that think podcasts are dumb or not, not important don't get it. So Sanjay Gupta goes in there, and he was angry because CNN was mocking him for taking ivermectin. Listen, cut 22. By the way, I'm glad you're, you're, you're better. I'm Thank glad you. it only lasted a day. You're probably really the am. only one at CNN that's glad. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not. The rest of them are all lying about me taking Hork's medication. <laughs> and we should talk about that. That bothered you. It should bother you, too. They're well, lying I, at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for it, veterinary. It, calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network, it, and it, it's a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. And, and it went on. 
And he was he was really ripping because I I listened to the show when he got back. He's like, I got better within 24 hours, and it was prescribed by a doctor. And the bigger picture, and Brett was just in here, Chris, is they they wouldn't even put on YouTube Senator Ron Johnson talking to a doctor about ivermectin, which is the number one therapeutic in India and Japan to this virus. What are your thoughts about is that the, exchange? The, well. I, I I think it's fine. You could tell that Sanjay Gupta was not especially happy with him saying it. And clearly talking about the veterinary medicine when there is a human and it is used for some other things. But there is – look, you and I just disagree about this. My feeling is you shouldn't be taking – you shouldn't be prescribing and taking medicines for yourself that haven't been approved. And no, he got prescribed the FDA, wait, 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 the FDA and the CDC have not approved ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine for treatment. And what happened to hydroxychloroquine, which was, oh, it was the miracle cure. Nobody has ever found that it is safe and efficacious for dealing with COVID. So, you know, until, if, with the minute they do, if I have it, I'll take it. But until they do, I'm not taking it. And I'm certainly not taking it just because I read something on the internet. Right. And, but you, it's more than that, but we'll talk about that. And I want to get this other topic in. Uh, this yes, is, sir. this is Katie Couric talking to justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, cut 33. It's dumb and disrespectful. Uh, the same, I would have the same answer if you asked me about flag burning. I said, I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up. If they want to be stupid, there's no law that should be prevent if they want to be arrogant there's no law that prevents them from that she was uh, putting down people that took a knee during the national anthem katie Couric right. decided that she didn't want to make her ruth Bader ginsburg look bad so she cut it out of an interview what are your thoughts about this i it's everything that i oppose in the news media we are we are not there to protect people right we're there. not there to promote people we're there to report the news and if somebody gets uh, you know, in front of a mic and says something. I mean, and it wasn't even stupid. It was just her opinion. You know, she thought it was, she was offended. And what could be more news? I mean, yes, she had, uh, she ran that clip. So she ran something about her criticizing Colin Kaepernick or stuff. But to have this, you know, the, the, the avatar of liberal justices on the court really come down hard on kneeling during the national anthem I don't, that's news. And it's not my, you know, they've got a big PR staff at the Supreme Court to protect them. It's not my job as a reporter to protect them. And whether I like them or not is utterly irrelevant. And I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to see people do it to conservatives. I don't want to see people do it to liberals. Just do the news. Just do your job. You're not, you're not a, 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 an unofficial PR firm for the person you're interviewing. What if your dad said something you thought was going to look bad on him and you were interviewing Mike Wallace about his career. Father, it's a little. Wait a minute, that's a little different. So you would have edited it out if it was different. your dad. What? If it was your dad, you would have edited it out. I, I don't know, but I'm, that's a little different than I, as the last time I checked. Katie Couric and Ruth Bader Ginsburg are not related. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even you reject my question. You've never done that before. You reject my question. Well, I don't know. Look, I, no, I probably would protect my father. Yeah. I, what the hell? Uh, and and. You know, I mean, it's a little bit like Chris Cuomo. I don't have a problem with Chris Cuomo talking to his brother. I, what I, I do have a problem with him talking to the staff and being, you know, on a, on a conference call with all the political advisors. I think that's a mistake. 
But you know, it, there are there are things that there are things that trump your 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 job. I, I think your father son relationship trumps okay. your job. Being the fact that you admire a Supreme Court justice doesn't trump your job. And you know, the interesting thing is, it was really news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I was quite surprised came down so hard on Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee. I, my reaction would have been, man, I got a good story here. Thanks, Chris. Uh, well, we're going to watch on Sunday. I'll tell you what. I'm glad I'm not your father. You'd screw me. <laughs> hey, I got to get the story. And I got to go back to work. Chris Wallace, thanks so much. Yeah, and, and more work. <laughs> Anybody who's got a job for Brian, give him a call right now. Back in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, welcome back. I went a little long with Chris, but I just got to tell you, the President of Freedom Fighter is coming out. And it's coming out November 2nd, and you're going to be able to – I'm going to go on stage and talk about all these history books, but especially the new one, Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. And if you uh, are listening to me in Clearwater, Florida, go to briankillme.com. Just get tickets. I'll have VIP opportunities. I get a chance to meet people. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Orlando, Florida, WDBO listeners especially. Uh, go out and uh, and get some tickets or some remaining. Uh, not much left for WOKV listeners, maybe – if uh, in Jacksonville, that's in Point of Vigil, are virtually sold out. And if you don't get a ticket, if you can't find one, maybe it's worth the two-hour trip to Orlando. I think there's an amusement park there. Uh, and then there's Charleston, West Virginia. Just go to briankillme.com, uh, and you'll see. Uh, have opportunities. You could also uh, sample it a little bit. And it's on, there's some of the shows are still up on Fox Nation uh, from two years ago, before the pandemic hit. So uh, go to briankillme.com. Uh, Meanwhile, when we return, Congressman Madison Cawthorn will join us. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The vaccine mandates, what they've done is they've taken working class people who work through the whole epidemic, firefighters, doctors you just heard, nurses, airline workers, many of them got COVID, they're, they're immune. And we, we treated them like heroes last year, and now we're treating them like pariahs this year. The vaccine works to protect the vaccinated against the, 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 uh, the disease. Uh, they're not actually threatened by the unvaccinated. In fact, they can get the disease from the vaccinated themselves. Uh, what it's going to cause is shortages across the country in vital services. He's 100 percent right. And that's Dr. Bajachara. And he was on with Laura Ingram last night talking about the vaccine mandates. I think these politicians are getting caught up with the fact that some of these polls show that 53 percent of the public uh, are for vaccine vaccine mandates. Well, the ones that aren't that aren't getting vaccinated are being fired or quitting 
And they're play, doing quitting as cops and quitting as medical workers, quitting as uh, armed forces, uh, firefighter, firefighters. And now OSHA is looking to cut together a criteria where every business in this country with over 100 employees has to mandate vaccines. Do you believe that? Congressman Madison Cawthorn doesn't out of North Carolina. Education and Labor Committees and Veterans Affairs is on his mind. Congressman, what do you think about these mandates and what can you do in the minority? Well, I'll tell you what I think about is I think this is completely un-American. We have the right of self-determination in this country, uh, and that should be protected, and that should be the spirit of the law. Uh, Something that I want to make sure is getting out there, because a lot of people think the vaccine mandate has already come down. That's why you see so many business owners trying to enforce it. But really, all the Biden administration has done is release press releases. There is no executive order. There is no law. And so uh, preemptively, my office and I have authored a bill to try and gut OSHA and prevent them from trying to enforce this unconstitutional mandate. What do you think? uh, What kind of unless you get somebody on the other side of the aisle, it is just putting it's almost a position paper. You know what? That's absolutely correct. Uh, we, we are working to try and get somebody from the other side of the aisle. But you know what, Brian? I don't know what Nancy Pelosi does to these people in the catacombs of the, uh, of the, of the Capitol. But she either tortures, tortures them to keep them in line or makes them uh, take uh, bad pictures of something so that she always has blackmail on them. Because they vote as a block in a monolith, and it's so difficult to get them to splinter. Uh, but I think that this should be something that all Americans are in favor of, saying, hey, you do whatever you think is the right thing to do, because that's the American way. I guess so. Uh, Congressman, uh, right now, I know you've, you're a rookie in there, but how frustrating is it to be in the minority, even though it's just a slight difference? You know, Brian, I'll tell you, it, the, the most frustrating thing is, is you know, I, I can go on Fox News, I can go on your show and pontificate about all the problems that are going on in our country. I can give an impassioned floor speech, but uh, the way our Constitution is set up, unless we have 51% of the vote, uh, aside from uh, launching investigations and messaging on something, Congress is virtually powerless. And so, Brian, I'm actually calling that our governor start stepping up. I mean, when you look at the border crisis that's going on, uh, I'm sure a lot of people might be writing letters to the Biden administration. And then you see all these governors coming on ta- national television saying, well, the Biden administration has not responded to our letter, as if they care. Uh, the, the governors of our border states need to go ahead and just say, hey, uh, I'm going to call for 100,000 Americans to come down here, volunteer, put them under the command of the Texas Rangers, give them a pair of handcuffs, and then take every single one of these illegal criminal refugees who claim to be refugees who are here and fly them back to port au and say, you are not coming into our country. We're stopping this invasion now. Here's what Rick Perry said, the former governor of Texas, about what's going on at the border, which we seem to be the only network that cares about it. Cut 28. We've spent $3 billion, $3 billion since the first of the year in the state of Texas, Texas taxpayers' money, to go down and try to defend that border. Why don't we take some of that money and um, go hire every bus company that we can all across the country, and these people that are coming in— uh, they've clearly said, you know, that they're they're not gonna uh, they're not gonna follow our laws, and transport them to Wilmington, Delaware would be a good spot to start. All across those blue states that think it's a great idea to have open borders, I think after about a week of that, you would have an uprising across this country uh, in Washington D.C. and telling this president, "Go secure the border, Mr. President." Uh, I think it's going to take something drastic like that to really get this man's attention.
Do you agree? You know what? It's unsurprising that that is the position that Rick Perry has. I agree with him on almost everything he does. I think he's a great Republican. He's definitely not a rhino, and so I appreciate his thoughts there. But, you know, this is exactly how I feel. Uh, when it comes to the idea of a government shutdown, you know, uh, some of our veterans will be incapable of getting their pension payments or the money that they're owed. Uh, but every member of Congress will still be getting their paychecks. And I think if we started holding the members of Congress and the members of the executive branch to the same standard because of the terrible decisions and disastrous decisions, like what's going on on the southern border, and we started putting all of these refugees and these illegal immigrants in their hometown, in their backyard, I absolutely agree that they would stop this incursion right away. So with these max mandates, we're seeing some of the ramifications. United Airlines uh, is going to start with a mandate. They are going to fire 232 employees who have refused to get COVID vaccine. Good luck running a airline stretched out already without 232 employees. Okay, let's see how much more that is. Southwest, an American, to abide by President Biden's vaccine mandate despite conflicting ban uh, from the governor in Texas. They're going to go ahead with the mandates mysteriously. We saw what happened to Southwest over the weekend. This is a canary in the coal mine for what's going to be happening this fall. And if you see what's happening with the cops, right now only they're in the NYPD the commissioner is agreeing with the idiot governor, mayor, and looking to do a vaccine mandate for the NYPD. Only 64 percent are vaccinated. Are we going to have dealing be living in a city minus 36 minus thousands of officers? The same thing with Chicago. Same thing with Seattle. They are they're going to lose 20 percent of their already depleted uh, police force. In Los Angeles, 895 city fire personnel, a majority of firefighters have signed an intent to sue the city, but they're going to quit in the meantime. They're supposed to get vaccinated by October 19th. Does anyone understand what's about to happen? You know what, Brian, I'll tell you, I I think this is absolutely what the American people should be doing. Uh, And, you know, I I think that we need to make it very clear that if we think we're going to take our country back and take the power back and give it back to we the people uh, and think it's not going to cost us anything, I think we're kidding ourselves. Uh, the American people, I think, need to be ready to become become slightly uncomfortable to live a long and prosperous life in a free land. Because I'm telling you, we the people have the power. Uh, you saw with Southwest Airlines that all of these uh, people decided, all of these pilots decided to walk away and to not abide by this vaccine mandate. Within 29 hours, the CEO is on the show saying, well, we're actually considering not enforcing that mandate. We the people have the power. Make them fire you. Make them get rid of you. Walk out on these people who want to enforce mandates. One, because it's, it, it's really our patriotic duty, and I just think it's time that we call for a healthy dose of civil disobedience in our country. Yeah, I guess we're going to find out. Uh, Congressman Madison Carthorne, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Great being on with you, Brian. See you, brother. Uh, yeah, we look forward to the bill as uh, to push back on what OSHA is about to do to all of us. Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, uh, we're going to take your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know, perhaps at some point. But we're going to take some calls when you get back. Uh, also... Um, also, I'll tell you where I'm going to be on the book tour. I told you we're going to be on stage, but on the book tour, it's a little bit different. It's going to be have two stops in New York for the first time ever. Details when we return. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
construction of a 630-mile border fence that create a significant barrier to illegal immigration on our southern land border. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. Right. Uh, I did not dub his voice. That isn't a fake Chuck Schumer or an imitator. Not that there's a big call for Chuck Schumer imitators. That is Chuck Schumer in 2009 saying what we know. Border fences make total sense. We paid for one that's rotting right now and rusting in the desert. Listen to 2006 version of Dick Durbin. We are building 300 or 700 miles worth of fencing or barriers. Well, I have to say that that leaves a lot of area uncovered. And it's, I guess, not a leap of imagination to believe that people will find a way to go around this wall, around this fence. (laughs) Do you believe this? He thinks it should be longer and taller. He doesn't want any gaps in the fence. Now in 2021, we can't get him to put a fence up that we made, paid for, contracted. 2005, the senator from Illinois... We all agree on the need to better secure the border and to punish employers who choose to hire illegal immigrants. We simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked, and circumventing the line of people who are waiting patiently, diligently, and lawfully uh, to become immigrants in this country. Now, this isn't an illicit recording done at a fundraiser we weren't invited to. These are major speeches and positions that these major lawmakers that are still in the public eye and some of them are still in office have. And just wait. Over the next few days, I'll make sure to pull up Joe Biden, too. We'll find him because he talked. He was for the Secure Fence Act back in 2006. Now he can't build it. And he's let these border just go wide open, wide open. Now, having said that, especially on that last cut that you just heard from Barack Obama version 2008, know this. We have Bill Malusian on the border. Not only are we not deporting, we will not deport anyone. We will not do business raids to find out if anybody has illegal aliens and then we'll arrest the CEOs of those business. We've stopped doing that. That's no longer allowed. We're not, uh, we're not allowing a border patrol to chase people if they don't get them right away. They're just letting them. Run wild. Come in. Add to this. And we've said this all along. They say from Venezuela and Brazil specifically, you have middle class coming across the border. They'll get driven there. They'll fly to Mexico, take a bus to the border, maybe change their clothes and go across the border with the herds of other America, other uh, aspiring Americans coming here illegally. Get processed and get put into the fray. I want you to hear Bill Malusian because Bill Malusian was able to get hardcore numbers on the border from the Border Patrol about what has been done already this year. We know about 1.6 million have come across the border. Let's listen to where they are. So a federal source was able to leak us some pretty eye-opening documents. And what they show is that the Biden administration has released more than 70,000 illegal immigrants into the country just in the last two months alone. So let's show you some of what we're talking about. If we can pull up this first graphic, one thing that jumped out to us, just since August 6th, the administration has released about 32,000 people into the country by granting them parole. That gives them temporary legal status and also allows them to apply for work permits. But under federal law, it's very strict guidelines. It's supposed to only be on a case-by-case basis for 
urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. Just to put it in perspective for you, former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott, who served under Trump and Biden, said he only granted five to ten paroles per year as a sector chief. According to these documents, the Biden administration just did 32,000 in two months. So these are the numbers, and I think they're low, but they're significant. Do you see how they've changed policies? And do you know why the, the pre, what I don't understand is the president on, on immigration and on the border, 23 percent approval on immigration overall, 26 percent approval. It's only going to go down. And people are watching our channel uh, that don't necessarily vote for Donald Trump. A lot of them or else we wouldn't be number one in all of cable television. That's from the Cartoon Network to Ted Turner to ESPN. Number one overall, let alone news channel. So Rodney Scott says this. He used to run the Border Patrol until he was forced out in June. By law and regulation, a parole shall only be granted on a case-by-case basis and only for significant humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit. Neither of these appear to apply to the current situation. As a field chief, I don't believe I ever approved more than five or ten parolees a year. When I did, I ensured that the alien was monitored continuously and was detained or removed uh, as soon as the circumstances allowed. Now they let in thousands. Thousands. And this middle quest migration is unbelievable. This, that's what they're calling it, because they show up in their Louis Vuitton bags and they want to just go to Connecticut and hang out in our country. And they'll get paperwork that says maybe an appearance ticket, which is not obligate, not it's not mandatory. And they said, I was going through your process, America. It takes too long. It's too costly. I'll do it elsewhere. As Lindsey Graham said last night with um, with Sean Hannity. When he hopped on to talk about, and I was, this is probably the first time I had heard that, and then I researched it this morning. Listen to what Lindsey Graham had to say with Sean Hannity last night. Uh, essentially says this. He, the, those who are critical of the administration's order to halt large-scale immigration arrests at job sites, he was doing that. But he says, right now, immigration policies are allowing affluent Brazilians uh, were illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexican border and Venezuelans, I'll add that, and headed to Connecticut wearing designer clothes and carrying Gucci bags because they're just walking across populating our country. You know what Mexico said? Until we give more money to Central and South America, this will keep happening. Excuse me. That's called extortion. Your leaders get the money. The people never get the money. If we want to do something permanent, provide security and bring manufacturing to Central and South America, get it out of China. Bring it to Ecuador, Bolivia, El Salvador. Bring it to um, uh, bring it to Brazil, where they need to be industrialized to a greater extent, and get China out of there because they're trying to own Brazil right now. So to me, that's that's pretty obvious. That's what's happening at the border. Our own Lawrence Jones is down there too. He was talking to a Texas rancher about what's happening. On his place, cut 26. About 30 migrants, illegal migrants, on your property. This is the first time this ever happened? Oh, no, sir. This happens daily and weekly. It slowed down for a little bit, maybe two or three weeks ago, but now it's on the surge back again. I'll tell you this, when Trump was in, it was slow out here. I never saw a board tour made once a week. You know, with DPS, was our blessing this summer. And now they're here to still help, but we can't allow them to do their But they weren't allowed to arrest these folks today. How do you right. feel about that? Oh, I'm, I'm upset. I mean, that just, I mean, that's like a punch to the belt. Yeah, uh, so they have no shot of getting these guys. And you got to see Lawrence went up with them. He's with the Texas National Guard, not even with Border Patrol. The Border Patrol is using the guard to, to spot them, and then they'll go in and get them, but they're not allowed to chase them. So the, the Texans are writing huge checks out of their budget 
billion-dollar checks in order to secure a border the federal government is constitutionally obligated to keep down. More from Lawrence and that rancher. Cut 27. When DPS arrests them, they charge them with criminal trespass, yes, right? Yes, criminal trespass, and they go to jail, and we can slow it down but for a little bit. When Border Patrol arrests them, they're going to release them back into Mexico. Correct. And how long is it going to take them to be back over here? I wouldn't be surprised if it's tomorrow night. When you have that revolving door, are they going to come and break into my house, or what are they going to do? Are they going to come and... That runs through your mind. Oh, that runs through your mind all the time when you're out here on the ranch. Wow. I mean, that to Daily Bay. You know, I was talking to one woman uh, last week who says she will not even put out the garbage without a gun. She walks out to put the garbage out. She has no idea what she's going to run into. So you have people who are just criminals. Other people are just starving. There's nobody with any control. Uh, and it doesn't seem like this administration has any interest in doing it. You know what? Do you know what Kamala Harris was doing yesterday? Damning uh, Christopher Columbus and other people, explorers who came to our country and hurt the American Indian. All right. I don't even want to get into the details of this, but to think with everything she's got on her plate and supposed to be doing, spending uh, the vo- the need for voting rights in this country, uh, the mag- to explaining the vaccine mandate in areas that don't seem to get it or trust our government. She's talking about that and talking to kid actors about space. Hey, the president of Freedom Fighter will be in a lot of places. Including Manhattan, New York, and Publicans, November 3rd. Click on my website and get some tickets. Staten Island, Barnes & Noble, first time ever, November 4th, Thursday night, uh, the Barnes & Noble in uh, Richmond Avenue. And then don't forget Charleston, West Virginia. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Tara Palmari will be with us shortly, co-author of The Political Playbook. We get her insight on a daily basis. It helps me on Fox and Friends and immensely on this show. She's going to provide us the latest insight on what's happening in Washington and how it affects you. Uh, I always say the news keeps changing in a way I never expect. Obviously, nobody wants to see an attack. That changes things in natural disaster. That obviously provides different challenges and storylines. But I'm actually cannot believe I'm talking about cargo ships, inflation, meat prices, and a rusting fence on the border, and nobody has any interest in putting it up, even though it's totally paid for. Literally, you can see a drone shot of the barrier on our border that would make our country more secure, and the president has no interest in putting it up. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So a federal source was able to leak us some pretty eye-opening documents, and what they show is that the Biden administration has released more than 70,000 illegal immigrants into the country just in the last two months alone. Former Border Patrol Chief Rodney Scott, he only granted five to ten paroles per year. The Biden administration just did 32,000 in two months. Now we have the numbers, and it's borderline criminal. Hundreds of thousands of illegals have been strategically scattered across the country, and more are on their way, perhaps to your neighborhood, because it turns out some of them are middle-class citizens from Venezuela and Brazil. They just rather be here, so they're walking across. Unbelievable. Number two. The vaccine mandates, what they've done is they've taken working-class people who worked through the whole epidemic, firefighters, 
doctors you just heard, nurses, airline workers, many of them got COVID, they're, they're immune. And we, we treated them like heroes last year, and now we're treating them like pariahs this year. Inexcusable. Dr. Jay Bacciara, the mandate mania, may be popular in the polls, but are we paying the price as a country as cops, pilots, medical professionals, armed forces members are balking at the demand and soon will be walking from their jobs? Has anyone thought this through? Number one. Can this administration guarantee that holiday packages will arrive on time? We are not the Postal Service or UPS or FedEx. Uh, we cannot guarantee. Can't guarantee Christmas. Economies reeling with inflation rising, gas prices soaring, supply chains backlogged, and goods stuck in ports. The president springs into action by blaming and threatening the group that could save him, and that's private business. Doesn't make much sense. With me right now is uh, Tara, Tara Palmieri, co-author of The Political Playbook. Tara, welcome. Thanks for having me, Brian. So, T- Tara, a wild times in Capitol Hill. In your time, have you ever thought that inflation well, it was always looming? Inflation really is the thing that's affecting more people in more places than anything else right now, isn't it? Right. It's a pocketbook issue that the Democrats are definitely going to have to deal with in the midterm. Um, ultimately, um, you know, they're, they're launching January 6th committees. There's a lot of, um, you know, talk about uh, all these progressive policies and what they can sort of um, enact that will help a fraction of uh, the American electorate. But at the end of the day, people often vote based on how much money they feel like they have in their pocket. And if they're spending a lot of money on groceries, used cars are expensive, they can't get Christmas presents. I mean, they're going to look to who is actually running the government at the time. And right now, it is the Democrats that have control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. And our polling at Politico Morning Consult shows that even if there was um, a default um, on the debt limit, because Republicans wouldn't vote uh, to, to raise it, or if there's, you know, a government shutdown in the case that, um, you know, Republicans won't renew um, the budget, they still blame Democrats for these issues because they are the party with power, even if it means, even in though it's basically a split Senate and they have about maybe a handful of seats extra in the House, so they can't afford to lose a single seat. But meanwhile, that, that party is, in, is so fragmented right now with progressives and moderate um, that they're, they've been unable to really deliver so far um, on any of their promises. So that's, that's going to be an issue that they have to deal with a year from now. And I know that seems like a long time, but it's really not. People are hardening their feelings right now about government and how it's running, and, and that'll affect them in the, in the midterm. So, Tara, uh, let me ask you, as inflation goes up and the supply chain problems are indeed an issue, people are saying, how much are we spending? And Democrats can't agree. Does the fact that we're dealing with this economic challenges with the holiday season coming up, does that make it harder to sell the American people on $3.5 trillion? Or do they even care about the American people now? It's basically getting their party to agree. I think some members of the Democratic Party are acutely aware of that, especially uh, members that are in more purple states like Virginia, New Jersey, um, you know, members who maybe, maybe took back um, Republican seats for the first time, like Mikey Sherrill in northern New Jersey or um, uh, Abigail uh, Spanberger in the suburbs of Richmond, Virginia, longtime Republican strongholds, and they were able, as blue dog Democrats, to take these seats back. They are uh, they're up for tough 
re-election. In Congress, you're up for re-election every two years. And so you're really uh, vulnerable to the, the sentiments of the voters, the swings, the popular opinion, and just the feeling of, okay, you have two years to do something. And if you don't do anything in those two years, those, those members in swing states are vulnerable and they may lose their seats. And, you know, this is just the, the way Washington power works. So really there's a, a limited time, time in which they can actually execute their agenda. And they've spent a lot of that time dealing with the intra-party division, people saying we need to have a $3.5 trillion bill, progressives, and they don't want a dollar more. I mean, Elizabeth Warren saying she wanted $6 trillion. Um, and that a do they don't want a dollar less. And then you have Moderates saying, hey, um, we need to be reasonable. People still care about the debt. Um, some, of these, some of the money hasn't even still been spent from the COVID relief package that they passed earlier in the year. Let's bring it down. Uh, Joe Manchin, who's a senator from West Virginia, has a lot of power right now. He's a moderate uh, Democrat, and he can really change the game because, again, the, you know, the Senate is split. And he's saying he doesn't want more than $1.5 trillion for a reconciliation package. So they've got a long way to go from $3.5 trillion to $1.5 trillion. And they got to get to there and by right, Halloween, right? Exactly. And here's the other thing. it's Now it's a debate over do we have more programs, more social programs for shorter periods of time, or do we have a few really well-funded social programs that will last for a decade? And so that's sort of the debate right now. And, and also who can have access to these social programs? You have people from... The suburbs, um, wealthier suburbs, like Mikey Sherrill in New Jersey and Abigail Spanberger in Virginia, who say, we want our constituents to have access to child care credits and all of these other um, social spending issues. They might not be considered um, means tested in the sense that they don't, they make a certain income that would probably preclude them from these sort of benefits, but they still want them. And if they don't get them, they're going to vote for them out as well. And, you know, then you have people from poor districts. And it, it's just, it's becoming a real thing where the Democratic Party is, it's super fractured, and right now Republicans are sort of just sitting on their hands and letting this all play out and hoping that at the end of the day, the the disarray, you could say, or the inability to take action will ultimately help them in the midterm election. So, yeah, we're talking to Tara Palmieri, co-author of the uh, Political Playbook that comes out a couple of times a day. Uh, it, it brings you inside Washington. So it looks like the Democrats are, are concerned enough about Terry McCall's fortunes in Virginia and Glenn Youngkin, who is uh, about two or three points off, according to most polls, but getting too close. It looks like they're coming out with President Obama, not Joe Biden, to help out, as well as Stacey Abrams. Are the, how nervous are the Democrats about this? Oh, they're petrified. I mean, this is a really big race for them, and it's sort of a bellwether, as we say, in you know our political jargon. But it really, you know, in 2009, there was a race before the midterm elections. This was right after Obama won. This was right before the midterm elections, about a year in advance, and Republicans took back um, the, the the governor's house, um, the governor's mansion in in Virginia. And a year later, there were dramatic, drastic losses in the House. Democrats handed the House back to the Republicans. And Democrats and Republicans are looking at this race and saying, how did Biden win Virginia by 10 points? And now, Terry McAuliffe, who's the Democratic candidate for governor, is only up by a point against uh, Glenn Youngkin, according to some polling. And so here's the thing, like, everyone says, don't trust the polls, don't trust the polls, right? But we'll see in the election that's coming up in a matter of weeks, 
what voters really think, because those all out in vote. It's not polling. No one's calling them. They're literally going in their cars and voting or sending in their ballots. So it'll be a really big indicator of whether uh, voters, specifically independents, because Virginia is a purple state, how they really feel about the Democratic agenda and how they're doing. And if they vote for a Republican and a Republican takes uh, the governor's mansion in in Virginia, I mean, I think it will really slow down this massive reconciliation package of $3.5 trillion. I think there's going to be a lot of reevaluations of, wait, we've been selling this for the past year, and it turns out that this purple state doesn't want a Democrat in charge of it. So does that mean we need to realign our agenda? Right. Um, I think and education, the, the, education seems to be a big thing in Virginia. And we know Tara McAuliffe oh. says, I don't want parents choosing what uh, choosing uh, the curriculum in schools. And Youngkin jumped all over that. He got that question again yesterday. Let's listen. Cut 31. Right, Who do you think should be in control of education if not Virginia parents? Vaccinated? Yeah, that's the question I want to know. Who do you think should be in control of education if not Virginia parents? You're dangerous here. I'll build education. That's why, uh, that's why Fox News has me leaving. Let Uncle destroy Virginia's education system. So he's actually telling uh, this reporter to get a mask on when he was spotted on Amtrak without a mask. But on education, uh, did he get himself in trouble there? Or do you think Democrats are happy with that answer? I don't want parents playing a role in the education of my kid. Uh, that's a tough question. I think it really does sort of revolve around the COVID debate right now um, and how how the president is managing it, what the, what the conversation is across the states about whether children should be masked or not masked, uh, vaccine mandates for students and teachers. It's a really contentious issue. I mean, I think ultimately at the end of the day, parents want to feel like they have autonomy over their children's education, right? No one wants to feel like they have no say in what their children are being taught at school, especially if you're a tax, you know, your taxpayer sending your children yeah. to public schooling. But, um, you know, I think ultimately that, that, that issue is a little bit deeper and it's more about the COVID response and whether um, we're going, o- whether you believe we're going overboard in schools by making kids wear masks and, and, and have them being vaccinated or whether you think that um, we're not doing enough um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. But I think I, I just, just on a base level, if you just take that answer, no one's going to like that answer. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. No so, one's going to like to hear you shouldn't have any say in what your children are learning. Exactly. Or doing. Yeah. The, pre- <laughs> yeah, uh, the president Biden uh, yesterday came out, wanted to seem uh, as if he was in charge, had a bunch of CEOs over the Oval Office, and he came out with this idea. Cut to the port of Los Angeles will open. Over 60 extra hours a week will be open. In total, that will almost double the number of hours that the port is open for business from earlier this year. That means an increase in the hours for workers to be moving cargo off ships onto trucks and rail cars to get to their destination. Okay. Uh, So he's going to open up one (laughs) port one time after one meeting and went out of his way to let him know if the private industry doesn't help, he's going to call them out. I, I doesn't seem Sorry to me to be a plan. It's okay, Tim. <laughs> Sorry about that. My dog got excited. Um, I was going to say, I think it's a little too late. Uh, maybe not enough as well. Just one court. Ouch. Sorry about that. Um, it's a little too late. I think, you know, just like I said, one port is probably not enough. We've been told for months that this inflation issue and these supply chain issues would be temporary. 
Um, you know, I know people who are still waiting for car parts. They can't even use their cars right now. Um, there's, there's just a, a real supply chain issue, but it started years ago, almost two years ago when COVID started. So really, I think there's a question of what has the Obama, sorry, what has the Biden administration been doing when this started to become an issue and why have they not solved it? I mean, he's, it's, he's almost a year into office and why are we still talking about something that was supposed to be temporary? And why are we, um, why, like you said, just one port? Although I do think it shows that they could have done something all along if they're able to open this one port and have it, um, you know, be open for longer than that means that there, there should have been an effort earlier on to do this. At Great. multiple ports. Great point. Uh, what's your big uh, item today? What are you going to be working on? Um, well, I think a lot. I think right now this this Virginia race is super interesting. Right now, the fact that, um, like you said, Obama is coming out and and Biden is not. Uh, Terry McCall said in a in a private uh, phone call with um, with some of his constituents. Um, it was it was like a virtual rally that. Yeah. That Biden is unfavorable and doesn't want him there. So I think right now the story for tomorrow is how is Biden going to be affecting these state races? We have New Jersey as well. Um, it's all kind of become a referendum about Joe Biden. And also there's always the question of Donald Trump in the background and how he's sort of inserted himself. So I think you can expect reading some more about that tomorrow as it develops. Go get him, Tara. Tara Palmieri taking time out from writing the political playbook to talk to us. Tara, thank you. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 We'll take your calls next. We'll finish the hour with more to know. Uh, don't move. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first. Only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What do I think about the control of our borders? What would I do about it? Ladies and gentlemen, no great country can say it is secure without being able to control its borders, period. What I would do about it was what I proposed to do about it almost 13 years ago. I would radically ramp up the number of border security guards we have, the use of electronic surveillance material we have to guard the border, and the number of what they call virtual fences. They're not literally fences virtual fences from aerostat balloons on to where we whereby we could control the border much much better really much much better uh radical control fences even though chuck schumer dick durbin 2008 barack obama 2005 actually want a barrier there but remember no great country could be a great country if it can't control its borders and when it came to people getting here illegally listen to president obama as late as 2014. today our immigration system is broken and everybody knows it. Even as we are a nation of immigrants, we're also a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our immigration laws, and I believe that they must be held accountable. If you're a criminal, you'll be deported. How about that? Now, if you're a criminal and they say it's not a threatening, it's not one of those felonies where, you know, physical harm, if that's on your background, that is the problem. So if you just if you just committed a crime, maybe knocked off a bank or or dick sporting goods, well then you could stay. What to whose advantage is this in the middle of a pandemic 
to berate people and fire people for not getting a vaccine, to open up your borders, even though you paid for a fence and you had political cover, and you're not you to open up your borders to 1.5 million unvaccinated people, 20% of which have some type of illness, at the same time be on the record saying the need to secure your border throughout your 40-plus year career, including the guy that gave you a break of a lifetime, and that's Barack Obama. We come back, Howie Kurtz, on the controversy with Katie Couric, covering for uh, for a Supreme Court justice, as well as more stories about really what happened with uh, Pierce Morgan and uh, and the royal family. The t- new from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. By the way, I'm glad you're you're, you're better. I'm Thank glad you. it only lasted a day. You're probably really the am. only one at CNN that's glad. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not. The rest of them are all lying about me taking horse medication. <laughs> and we should talk about that. That bothered you. It should bother you, too. I, They're well, lying I, at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for it, veterinary. It, calling me- it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It, and it, it's a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. So that is just a little of the back and forth that went on for three hours with Sanjay Gupta as he's trying to sell his book on the number one podcast in the country. And I think people are just realizing over the last year, my opinion, that Joe Rogan matters. You're not going to intimidate him. You're not going to minimize him. He got $100 million for a reason. And when he he's a UFC guy who's also a stand-up comedian. He's also an actor who had this idea before podcasting was uh, cool in and profitable. And now he's benefiting from it, but he's also taking on his critics. And I don't think people know how to handle him. Howard Kurtz would know better. He's the host of Media Buzz on Sundays from 11 to 12. You can follow him at Howard Kurtz. Howard, what do you, what's your, thanks for joining us. What is your take on this give and take? First of all, I don't know if I can handle Joe Rogan for three hours either. He'd probably beat me into submission. Oh, not Look, verbally. Joe, <laughs> Joe Rogan absolutely eviscerated Sanjay Gupta in this interview. I mean, it was if it was Gupta was was battered and bloodied. It was a fight. They would have had to stop it. I mean, over and over again, Rogan said your network lied about me. They said I took horse dewormer. Of course, that was the derogatory term for ivermectin. Uh, and to do that. At a time when the guy had gotten COVID and was sick, tells you a lot about CNN. Uh, you know, you don't. That's not the time to be hitting below the belt to extend the boxing analogy. So, a couple of things. He, he was really insulted, but he stood up for a lot of people. And one of the big things with me, uh, what I get, how you probably get it every, everywhere too, is all educational levels, all ages. Why are people running from therapeutics? No one ever wants to talk about how to treat it if you get it. They just want to say, get vaccinated. And they don't want to ever talk about any after effects or, uh, or what could happen if you get it and, and some downsides to getting the vaccination. No, they didn't want to talk about breakthroughs to the numbers got so great. What was the, the, word, the background story in ivermectin is stunning. Senator Ron Johnson has this doctor out that's had success with it at a Senate hearing. And it was taken down off YouTube and when I, and every time he brought it up, MSNBC and CNN would minimize it as horse to worm, and they say it's horse drugs. And that just, and he's Joe Rogan's right. That is not how you describe ivermectin. 
You know, first of all, it's no secret why CNN people would mock Rogan for taking ivermectin. They don't like his politics, and they try to use him as a punching bag. But he, as you just pointed out, has a pretty big platform to fight back. Not everybody, you know, can take on CNN that way. I give Gupta credit for going into the lion's den. But, man, he just was unable to defend when Rogan said again and again, your network lied about me. He had nothing, nothing to defend. Now, it is fair to point out the FDA says ivermectin is not effective against COVID-19. Uh, but it's not like it's some crazy drug. It's a drug, as Rogan pointed out. Well, the, the scientist behind it won the Nobel Prize for its treatment against malaria. A lot of people think it works. There's a lot of experts don't, but that's part of the debate. All right, so here's more from that give and take uh, with Sanjay Gupta and Joe Rogan. It can be used for humans. I, I get it. I, I totally... Not just could be used for humans. Is often used for humans along with all the other drugs I took. All human drugs. Yes, they know it's a human drug. It's, it's a, it can. It's right. But and the, they lied. The thing. It's I, defamatory. It, it is. It is. Uh, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. It's I get, defamatory, right? Well, I don't know if it's defamatory. I bet it is. Yeah, well, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. It's but, a lie. Well, see, here's the thing. It, it, can we? You can have nuanced discussions about this. <laughs> no, right? you can't. Yeah, you, can. you can't have nuanced discussions about lying about someone taking horseshoe armor. Was... But my point is, you're working for a news organization. If they're lying about a comedian taking horse medication, what are they telling us about Russia? What are they telling <sighs> us about Syria? Do you not, do you understand that that's why people get concerned about the veracity of the news? See, he's just speaking for a lot of people. He never come out and says, I know everything. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the, the oracle of wisdom. He talks like a normal guy who is very well read, and he's got a huge platform. I personally don't think how you know more network people than I do. I, don't th I think people for a long time could not handle cable. They thought cable was something you do if you can't get a network job. They came around on that. <laughs> like movie yeah. actors said, you only do television if you can't get a movie, and they came around on that. I don't think people know what to make of this podcast. Well, first of all, Joe Rogan has 200 million listeners a month on Spotify, yeah. so he is huge. He's bigger than any single cable show, actually. Yep. And obviously the people who tune in, they, they, you know, it's a long podcast. People invest. They listen for a long time. That clip you just played when Gupta had to say, you know, well, they shouldn't have done that. I mean, he couldn't even defend his own network. And, and I think when he went from when Rogan said, well, they're lying about me about this, you know, how do we know they're telling the truth about Russia? How do we know they're telling the truth about that? This is why it erodes your credibility uh, when people who are anchors and reporters, not even necessarily commentators, you know, use snarky language, make fun of somebody who just got sick because he didn't get the vaccine. In fact, uh, Rogan said he tried to get vaccine, didn't work out, but he wasn't necessarily against vaccines. Um, he really struck a blow against the network's credibility there. All right. Uh, the other big story, I think, for one thing, uh, I just want to get your overall take. I have not read Katie Couric's book, but I might, might as well have with all the excerpts I've read. Right. Why do you, what do you think her approach was to writing it? I remember, forget that Charles Barkley had a biography. He did his autobiography and then had to run from it. He goes, yeah, I didn't really write anything. Some of this stuff there I shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be in the book. Kind of ran from his autobiography. I'm wondering, does, does Katie Couric know what she's doing and what she did? What was well. the purpose of this? 
Uh, I would say, first of all, to sell books. I would say, second of all, to get her back into the national conversation. I mean, this is a woman who was uh, a very popular co-host of the Today Show, uh, the somewhat less popular uh, anchor of the CBS Evening News. And she's kind of low visibility these days. But she settles so many scores in this book. And I have talked and written about the fact that, you know, she admits that she uh, froze out certain women who she viewed as competitors, like Ashley Banfield, that she said uh, she sent Matt Lauer our I love you texts uh, after he was fired by uh, NBC for uh, sexual harassment. And she's trying to walk that back now in People Magazine. But by far the biggest story is the one I, I came rushing into Fox yesterday to do this story for a special report. And that is Katie Kirk. These are her words, not mine, admitting that she selectively edited an interview she did with Yahoo with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This was, it wasn't like, well, we cut this for time because we only had two minutes on the air. It's a half-hour interview on Yahoo. It could have gone on forever. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Supreme Court justice, talked in a very disparaging way about Colin Kaepernick and other NFL players who were taking a knee to protest the national anthem. And Katie Kirk says she wanted to protect Ginsburg because she was a big RBG fan. These are all her words. And she thought that Ginsburg had a blind spot when it came to racial justice. So she cut that part of the interview out. And that is journalistic malpractice, my friend. And so here it is in 2016. And I'm trying to make heads or tails how you could define better for me. This is, I think, what was posted, not what the raw interview was. I don't know if that exists or is out there. So she, they she kind of put up the part when they talked about flag burning and kind of got past the kneeling. Listen to this. It's dumb and disrespectful. Uh, the same, I would have the same answer if you asked me about flag burning. I said, I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up. If they want to be stupid, there's no law that should be preventive. They want to be arrogant, there's no law that prevents them from that. So I have a hard time. You know, it looks like flag burning. I don't really know what she's talking about. Maybe this excerpt, this is what's available. Maybe this is out of context. What do you know? No, that was what actually was posted by Yahoo. So she does have Ginsburg taking shots at the uh, Kaepernick and company. But then there was the part, and this is from Couric's own book, where Ginsburg went on to say that the, these people, essentially, she didn't use this word, you know, called them punks. You know, they, they're, they're disrespecting a government that made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a nice life. And this is when um, then the, the Supreme Court spokesperson called Katie the day after the thing was taped and said, you know, she misspoke. She didn't understand the question. You could tell from the what you just played. She understands the question perfectly fine. She was 83 years old at the time, but she's a member of the high court. And Kirk said she was conflicted. She didn't know what to do. And ultimately, she decided, again, this is her word, to protect Ruth Bader Ginsburg against what would have been a, a huge backlash uh, from some of her liberal fans. Uh, seeing her go off on these mostly black football players. Interesting. Uh, I, I just don't see the advantage. So she hurts her own credibility in saying this. And you don't know how many other things that she uh, edited out now brings up everything else uh, into fray and makes you want to question. The other major story is the Hunter Biden story suddenly got traction in places beyond Fox News and the New York Post. And now also people are talking about his art. And she, Jen Psaki, getting questions other than Fox News reporters on Hunter Biden's mysterious art career that suddenly has him getting thousands of dollars. And are the and who are these people buying these this art? And why don't we know their names? Why would anyone buy Hunter Biden's art uh, at all? 
And either President Obama's ethics czar even brought up he's got a problem with that, and then Jen Psaki should be answering the questions. Why are people interested now? Uh, for one thing, it's such a blatant conflict of interest, and it's easy to understand. This is not about Burisma and who got the contract and natural, you know, uh, in Ukraine and all of that. Hunter Biden is make, drawing these paintings, making these paintings, selling them for $75,000 a pop. The White House assured us he wouldn't know who was buying the paintings, so therefore there wouldn't be any question that the person might be trying to curry favor with his dad, the president of the United States, except then he went and mingled. There were photographs with a bunch of people who were checking out the art. And I think, can you imagine, Brian? If Don Jr. or Eric Trump, while their dad was president, paintings and selling it for a lot of money, the media would have gone nuts. I'm glad it's getting a little more traction, but it's nothing like the political earthquake that would have happened if this had happened uh, under Donald Trump. And so I think it's embarrassing enough that the press is like, "Ah, I guess we ought to do a little bit on this because uh, it is the president's son after all. Amazing. Uh, And Howard, also uh, Howie Kurtz, our guest, uh, Media Buzz on Sundays at 11. Sharon Osbourne also is speaking up about what happened with her and why she got fired from the talk. Uh, She was speaking with with Megyn Kelly on her podcast. They got a coup by getting the Oprah, Meghan and Harry interview. And they put so much into it. The whole world was watching. It was kind of what they needed was the jewel in the crown. And you just look at it business-wise for them. The network was failing, and this was their big coup. And to them, it was like, it's untouchable. You cannot, cannot um, say anything against that interview. And because Piers Morgan was saying what he felt about it in a negative way, and I was standing behind them, I don't think they liked it at all, because this was their coup. This was bringing them back. She's probably, I mean, is there any problem with her explanation? I think she's 100% right, but why get rid of somebody that was such a vital part of a successful afternoon show? I think she got totally uh, totally got the shaft. I mean, she'd been there for a decade. She was an important part of that CBS talk show. And, yes, I mean, what did she do? I mean, this notion that the things she had said were racist and wasn't true at all. She, As she just said, she defended Piers Morgan and taking on somebody who's apparently untouchable in certain circles, and that's Meghan Markle. Uh, and – you know, you get you got into a lot of the backstabbing and she said she wasn't briefed on the topic and so forth. But even if you think that she went too far in her comments on the air, um, does that warrant firing her, pushing her out, making her give up a job that she had uh, where she, you know, she was a major attraction on that show? Is anyone talking about that show? No, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it ever. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And so I think. You know, uh, she feels that there was a double standard employed in her case, and Sharon Osbourne making the case quite eloquently to our former colleague, Megyn Kelly. Uh, I think she's right, and I'm, I won't be surprised if somebody else uh, snatches her up. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been a while, and Pierce Morgan, I guess he's he's joined us, so he's on, on some role, and they were both very popular. The, I guess he was number one, brought that whole show back in the morning. They were willing to get rid of him. And Sharon Osbourne yeah, well, kind of walked off the set. So yeah. in a way, you know, he was being provocative there. But I'm glad he's joined Fox because now we can say whatever he wants. Yep, uh, he'll have the freedom to do it. He used to work with you, so it'll be almost a reunion. Uh, you, Hemmer, and him <laughs> can talk about uh, Larry King stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, Howie, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'll be watching you. Always good to talk to you, Brian. Go get him. Uh, back in a moment, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian. 
Brian Kilmeade will be right back. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. 1-866-408-7669. The President of the United States is going to be speaking about vaccines today, so I'm tingling. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. I'll be on at 1.30, by the way, with John Roberts on the 5 tomorrow. And if you want to find out where I'll be, because I'm going to be in Manhasset and Staten Island, May, uh, excuse me, November 3rd and 4th, go to BrianKillMe.com and just go grab tickets so we have a reservation for you. Now let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Now moccasins are racist. A popular brand called the Mini Tonka issued a statement Monday admitting the company had made money through appropriation of Native American culture over the last 75 years. The CEO, David Miller, admitted his firm is not a Native-owned business and promised to do more to support indigenous communities in the future. What are you talking about? I can't make German potato salad because I didn't invent it? I mean, what are you talking about? You... You can't wear, I, I, I don't understand this. You can't make your own version of a hot dog because the Germans invented it. It was called the Frankenfutter. It's just, all these companies just caved to this pressure that, I mean, did you even hear any uproar for no. this prior? It's I never ridiculous. heard an uproar over the Redskins unless some, some other people brought it up. And next thing you know, they had uh, most Indian tribes actually wanted to leave it. Next, back to Earth, William Shatner lands. 90 years old, the oldest person ever in space as he and three others spend three minutes uh, goes 62 miles above Earth. Jeff Bezos hugged him as he cried. Do we have any of that? We do. What you have given me is the most profound experience I can imagine. Uh, I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. I, I just, it's extraordinary. I hope I never recover from this. Uh, he's emotional, but he's also an actor. I thought it was great that he went to space. It's a, he's 90. I mean, shouldn't we all just, like, strive to be like that at 90? I know. I know. He, uh, he you know, he's very on his game, so mm-hmm. no question. The other thing is, uh, I like that we're creating a whole other industry, but Elizabeth Warren was on The View condemning the uh, we're going to sp- billionaires are going to space instead of paying taxes. It's ridiculous. Like, we're creating something new. Can't people ever be happy? And innovative. Agreed. My question is, who's, go- who's Bezos going to put on the next flight that's going to beat Shatner? Right to this topic. Listen to this. Prince William slams billionaires for having a space race while the earth is blowing up. Cut 37. You know, we are seeing a rise in, in climate anxiety. You know, people, young people now are growing up where their futures are basically threatened the whole time. It's very unnerving and it's, it's, it's very, you know, anxiety making. We need some of the world's greatest brains and minds fixed on trying to repair this planet, not trying to find the next place to go and live. That's his idea. No one gets up in the morning worried about the climate. The, you know why he worries about it? Because everything's been done for him. And He's all done. He's not worried about his bills, so he can worry about the earth. Maybe the kids are so anxiety-ridden because they're getting pushed all this junk in school and by everyone else. If people weren't focused on that all the time, the kids wouldn't be so worried. I don't want to tell you how to parent, but you should watch for your kids. I don't want any of them coming home telling you about how the earth is heating up. One degree. Eric, make sure. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.